0: Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam, a full textbook, tons of GRE questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free by going to achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we have Mary Pat Jacobs on the line from ApplyPoint. And Mary, I'd love if you could introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your company.
1: Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I am the director of ApplyPoint Admissions Consulting, and we specialize in working with applicants to graduate programs in medicine, law, and business with with our applications with school selection, recommendation management, essay content development and editing, rec- uh, resume construction, as well as interview preparation. So when I say graduate programs in medicine, we work with allopathic programs, traditional MD programs in the US, as well as osteopathic programs, as well as um, offshore programs. Uh, For example, in the Caribbean, there are four schools that we recommend in the Caribbean as they have high residency placement, uh, both full-time and part-time law school programs, and full-time, part-time, and executive business school programs.
0: Great. Fantastic. And that makes you a great person to talk to today about how to apply to medical graduate school programs and how you know to set yourself up for success. Uh, and really I think that um, to start here, just to kind of establish the foundation, I'd love if you could walk through the process of applying to medical graduate programs, even from as early as like undergraduate and college and pre-med, right? Like just kind of give us a lay of the land of the whole thing and then we can dig in to uh, you know the specifics regarding it.
1: Absolutely. So in your undergraduate coursework, you you want to try obviously to fulfill all of the pre-medical requirements which will fall under the umbrella of biology, chemistry, physics, and math. When you apply to medical school, you're actually going to have a separate BCPM GPA. Um, So you want to try your best to do your pre-medical requirements in undergrad. If you don't, if you major in the humanities and you don't do any of your pre-medical requirements, don't worry, you will have an opportunity in post-bac programs to complete those that you can do, you know, once you graduate from college. But like I said, you want to try to get at least some of those in. Um, And then in addition to taking those courses, you know, really taking part in opportunities that may reinforce your commitment to the study of medicine is a really good idea. So um, taking part in research, research roles, clinical roles where you're interacting directly with patients. Um, You want to get as much of that as possible. Also, you know, charitable and extracurricular involvements that is going to give you clinical exposure. Um, And then depending on when you're looking to apply to medical school, you're going to be You know, while you will will matriculate to medical school in in the autumn, in August, September, but you'll be submitting your applications a full year prior to matriculation. So we want to have your common application for AMCAS, for the allopathic programs, ready to go uh, really in June. So the process for that, you're going to, you know, you prior to that, of course, you'll be taking your MCAT, you'll submit your transcript, you'll do, you know, your work and activities section, which is a very sort of long winded resume, you'll have also your personal statement, um, you'll submit those materials, and then you will, you'll submit those materials in June, and then you'll have secondary essays. So We always recommend that applicants apply to between 25 and 30 allopathic programs. Um, this is because allopathic medical school admissions in the United States is so competitive. Um, so that means if you apply to between 25 and 30 schools, you're gonna have a lot of secondary applications to complete. Um, almost every single school right. on your list will require that. And, you know, really the common application is the tip of the iceberg. That's what we always say. Once those secondary applications come calling, you know, you really want to get those uh, submitted within two weeks of receipt. Um, So, you know, again, in addition to, you know, wow. So you're,
0: you're like, you're doing a bunch of other stuff and then you're getting these things coming at you kind of rapid fire that you have to knock out as quickly as possible.
1: Absolutely. But the, the main thing to remember, of course, in undergrad is to take those courses if you can, at least some. Whatever you don't finish, you can take in a post Um, You know, in addition to that, getting as many clinical and research-based experiences as you can, preparing for the MCAT, and then, you know, more than a year um, prior to matriculating to medical school, you're going to need to start your application, really like a year and a half or more.
0: Wow. All right. And, you'll, and submit, so, you'll submit your
1: application a full year prior to matriculation, over a full year prior to matriculation.
0: Wow, that's crazy. So once you've got that submitted, um, I mean, what's the process like on the other side, right? Like when does it kind of get reviewed? Is it reviewed by an admissions committee? Is it reviewed by actual professors in that school? Kind of like what is the what are the reviewers looking for? And are there like steps, right? Like for instance, for a business school, you – past kind of the first gate and then you get interviewed and then there's kind of the second gate, right? So anything like that.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, admissions, you know, who will be reviewing your application? Um, Admissions committees make up a wide array of people. So typically it's admissions committee members, you know, assistant directors, associate directors, senior senior associate directors, as well as directors. In addition to that, there are faculty reviewers. So these admissions panels, you know, are large. They're, you know, know, five to seven people could be reviewing your application. And really, you know, what they're looking for, they're going to ask themselves, you know, three questions when they look at your application. Number one, are you able to compete in the academic rigor of their program? So this is gleaned, as you would imagine, from the test score and the transcript. You want to, you know, you, you really want to have not only a good overall GPA, but you want to have a good BCPM GPA, which, again, is the biology, chemistry, physics, and math GPA. You know, the second question, you know, what, you, what is the quality and quantity of your previous experiences in, you know, in research, in, you know, with clinical exposure, with extracurricular involvements that exposed you? to patients. Um, are you, through your experiences, do they show a commitment to the study of medicine? Um, and then, of course, you know, they're, they're going to get a lot from, you know, your work and activities. With, through the work and activities, they're going to get a broad overview of your experiences. They're going to get a more deep dive with your personal statement into those experiences that really had an impact on you. And um, and then, you know, they're going to, when, when they ultimately interview you, when they do, when you complete your common app and your secondary essays, they're going to review them and they may bring you in for an interview, of course. And with that interview, they're going to say, you know, are you going to be a good fit, you know, in the close to and collaborative program that, you know, that we offer? Um, and so they're gauging, you know, what I want to sit next to this person in class. Are they going to be good on teams? Are they going to be good in clinical experiences? So they're really assessing, you know, your abilities in innovation, leadership, teamwork. They're looking at your maturity level, um, you, you know, your ability to connect with your t- with, you know, your classmates, with patients, etc.
0: Right. And I mean, how are they doing that? Right. Like, are they um, are? Yeah. Are they just using your essays, basically? Or are they um, are they trying to look at your secondary application. Like I don't, I personally, having not applied to medicine, don't know what gets covered in the secondary portion of the application. So that maybe that's part of it too.
1: Yes, 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 absolutely. So of course, you know, I think, you know, in addition to, of course, the test score and the transcript, the most important part of the application are these essays. Um, Because it's, it's, you have a lot of control. Obviously it, it, I, i'm I'm sorry, let me start that over. Um, the essays are really powerful because it'll it gives you space to articulate your previous meaningful experiences, you know, how they've changed you, how they've reinforced your commitment to the study of medicine. Um, what you have done in the past is far more important than what you say you're going to do in the future. So that's why we always say, Mm -hmm. you know, your personal statement, your secondary essays, it's got to be anchored in the past. So while your personal statement is more open-ended, your secondary essay responses, they're going to cover leadership topics, diversity topics, um, you know, topics that are going to assess, you know, your you know, your experiences in critical and creative thinking, um, particularly meaningful patient interactions, particularly meaningful, you know, research experiences that you had. Um, So they, they really are, you know, and and you know, assessing broadly your abilities in innovation, leadership, teamwork, maturity—you know, your ability to connect with others, empathize—and um, mm-hmm. and and you can do that through story, through personal narrative. Tell them a story that's going to allow them to come to their own conclusions. You know, on your abilities mm-hmm. in these areas.
0: Got it. Yeah, and then so that's all really helpful, and then essentially let's say you get admitted is there a waitlisting or anything like that and then if you get admitted kind of what's the process like from there
1: mhm um Yay! yes so so when you get um when you get admissions decisions you can either be admitted put on hold waitlisted or denied once if an applicant is waitlisted we highly recommend doing what is called a letter of support. Um, I'm sorry, a letter of intent. Um, uh, so basically, if you're waitlisted, you would write a letter and say to your first choice school. You would, you know, you know, in the letter, you would say any updates that have occurred since submitting your application, any meaningful research updates, any um, updates that have happened in a clinical environment. Um, you would re- You would, you know tell them, you know, why this school is your top choice and provide them with specifics as to what sets their school apart for you. And then you would also make the yield protection statement at your top choice school if you are waitlisted. So that's, you know, if admitted, I will absolutely attend. Um, That yield protection statement means a lot. Now, you can really only do that, of course, at one school, your top choice school. Um, And then, you know, other letters that you send, you can say, you know other schools where you're waitlisted. If they're not your top choice, you can still do a similar thing. You can you know give them updates since you've applied. Um, you know you can state you know why the school is one of your top choices with specifics as to why that school is set apart for you. But you know you would say you know it's one of my top choices, and if admitted, I would likely attend. Basically, they want the school wants everyone that is waitlisted. They want to know that if they admit you, that you're a sure thing. That that you would definitely <clears throat> attend if admitted. So that's why this letter of intent is so important to send at your top choice school. And the other thing to remember is you want to send a letter of intent. You only get one shot. You want to send that letter of intent at a school where you have a reasonable chance of getting in. Um, so, you know, given your your, applica- you know, your statistics, et cetera, your MCAT score, your GPA, um, you, you know, you want to send that letter of intent, like I said, to that one school where you think you have a good shot.
0: Great. So then, let's go back to kind of the, like I feel like we've covered the process pretty well, and now I want to go get, like dig into like the details of each kind of part a little bit. Um, so the first is, what are like you mentioned biology, biology, chemistry, physics, and math? A couple of times, are those the key classes that are their sort of the composite GPA you have from those in undergrad? is a lot more meaningful than what you got in, you know, history, or, or whatever. Um, And then are there any other classes that if you're in kind of like going in a pre-med direction, you should be adding as well?
1: You know, so that's a very good question. So, you know, you want your overall GPA to be strong, right? And You know, taking courses in the humanities is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, You know, they, they, you know, you really, you do, you learn how to critically evaluate all different subject matter, right? When you take the humanities, so you want to do well in all of your classes. um, But you know, doing well in biology, chemistry, physics, and math is really key if you want to go back to medical school. So they do hone in much more closely on you know on those courses and really there's no specific courses that i necessarily recommend taking but they must fall under you know that umbrella um courses that you're interested in actually is is key you know i'm um, taking chemistry yeah. courses that are of particular interest to you i much prefer that than um, you know, recommending specific courses to anybody, you know, as long as it falls under, you know, as long as it'll qualify and, and fall under that GPA when AMCAS looks at it. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of people that, that, that you know, study art history, for example, other, um, you know, other courses in the humanities, and they don't do their pre-med curriculum until after they're finished with college. So you can do that too and and get all of your pre-medical requirements taken care of in a post back program. The, the issue with that, of course, is it's more expensive. So um, you know, from a cost standpoint, it's much easier to get all those pre-med courses done in undergraduate.
0: Right. I mean, at least then you aren't trying to like squeeze them in into what you call a post back program. And I guess maybe it's worth just asking now, like you mentioned that type of program a couple of times. If you apply to medical school a year before you get accepted, and then you get accepted somewhere, where do, when does the postback program happen?
1: You know that depends. There are one and two year postback programs, um, but you can actually you can apply to medical school. Like in the second year of your postback program, you can begin your application. If you do a two-year postback program, for example, um, you can start your application that second year. We typically recommend waiting until you're complete with your postback, and then you would apply. You know, you would start working with us the following year.
0: Got it. Okay. Great. And then let's talk about kind of like the other components of the application, right? So um, what kind of work experience, you know, including TAing and extracurriculars and even research, though research is more for other majors, honestly, uh, or maybe not. I don't actually, this is where you could correct me, right? (laughs) But what are kind of like the, like including internships, but also other than internships, what are the kinds of work experience that you could be getting? You talked about clinical work being really important, So what does that look like, right? Like, um, does it look like just volunteering at a homeless shelter, or is it something a little more involved than that? Mm -hmm.
1: You know, actually, some really good, um, you know, clinical opportunities that we recommend are EMT. We've had some clients who have trained to be EMTs and they work, you know, as an EMT on an ambulance. We have had a few also become paramedics, so that's a much longer and intensive educational process to become a paramedic. Um, Also being a medical scribe in an urgent care center or a hospital um, is is a really good thing to do in terms of really high-quality clinical exposure. Um, You know, research experience also that we're – you know you can do research experience on a disease you can do research on a disease and then there's you also get clinical exposure because there's an attached clinic for example we had a client who did um who was taking part in research for alzheimer's disease and there was um you know he interacted you know daily with with the patients in the clinic that was was attached to the to the research center
0: got it Interesting. Um, and then I'm, I'm thinking uh, also then sort of, so as you're putting your resume together, is there anything else you want to be thinking about? Mm-hmm.
1: So when you say resume, when you apply to medical school, it is called your work and activities. So within your work and activities, you get 15 opportunities. I always tell my clients, if you don't think you have 15, I'm going to find them. Um, Everybody has them and we always (laughs) find them. So, So 12 of the 15, you only get 700 characters with spaces to talk about that that experience. And then three of the 15, you get 700 characters with spaces, and then an additional 1,325 characters with spaces. So your three most meaningful of the 15, I always recommend, you know, max out, you know, the clinical and research experiences that you have had. Um, that's a good spot for those. Now, in addition to clinical and research-based experiences, teaching. You know, you mentioned being a TA. Um, Being a teacher is a great thing. Um, Also, you know, any extracurricular activities you have, um, educating, um, you know, patient populations, even work experience that you have. We had someone apply to medical school later, so they, they worked at a consulting company for two years before applying to medical school. You can have experience that's not really medically related, but where you've gotten some transferable skill sets, um, you know, in the areas Ooh. of innovation and leadership. Um, so it certainly doesn't have to be, you know, clinical or research based always. Also shadowing experiences, shadowing physicians um, is, is is also a good thing to do. But though typically we will group the shadowing experiences together um, because you're not really doing direct you're not really getting direct clinical exposure. You're watching a physician, um, but teaching is. Those are really good experiences to have as well. Also, just even hobbies. You know, um, if if you know if you're an accomplished pianist and you know you you continue to work hard at improving your abilities, you know that's something to include in work and activities. We want you to seem like a well-rounded applicant.
0: Right. Right, exactly. Just like any other resume, right? Um, great. And then, so when you're applying to these programs, what wh- I mean, you, there's obviously the Common App essay, and your kind of like core essay there, right? Um,
1: so in medical then, school, um, yeah, I guess in we, I don't want to get so oftentimes when people apply to undergrad, they'll call it the Common App essay, um, but you're
0: right. Oh, yeah, because it's actually branded. Common app by a company. Exactly. So
1: this literally isn't the common app essay, but AMCAS is on, you know, they do provide a common application for medical school applicants. So you will have a personal statement. That's what we call it in medical school admissions. And it'll be, you'll get 5,300 characters with spaces to tell You'll take a much deeper dive in your personal statement. Um, We love personal narrative, and this is what we're most passionate about. While your work and activities section is really a general overview of, you know, your life from start to finish. When I say that, I mean your life as an adult, so from the start of college and after. Your personal statement is a deep dive where you can tell a story that's going to allow the reader to come to their own conclusions about your abilities in the areas of innovation. When I say innovation, I mean critical creative thinking, problem solving, and or <clears throat> leadership, and or teamwork, and or, you know, you know connecting with patients, etc. So, you know, you don't have to tell all of those stories in the personal statement. Again, the personal statement is is a deep dive where the work and activities is a general overview. Um, you know, the personal statement is, is much deeper.
0: Got it. And then do you have any kind of tips or advice for people when they're applying, like when they're writing their essays, like for medical programs specifically?
1: Yes. Well, so what I typically recommend, we always start the, we always start with what we call a meaningful experience brainstorm. So we call, we call actually, you know, you want to really, we we don't, we want them to be very, you want to be very free with your writing. You don't want to worry about if it sounds good or bad. You, you really just want to get it down on paper. So in a meaningful experience brainstorm, I want, them to think about meaningful experiences. And when I say that, I want to know what they thought, felt, said, and did. And we divide it into buckets. So bucket number one, meaningful experiences where you feel that there was a real shift in your perspective. There was an aha moment. If you wouldn't have had Mm -hmm. this experience, you would be a different person, professional, and student today. Sometimes it's not always beautiful. Sometimes it could be a failure or you know, you know, something that's showing a big weakness, that's okay. But anything that really prompted an evolution in your perspective. Now, when I give these, I, I really mean about 80% of this, um, these experiences that I'm going to be telling you in a few minutes, it should really come from the start of college and after while we do have meaningful experiences certainly in our childhood and adolescence i typically limit that to about 20 percent of the brainstorm um not that Uh you know that that those early life experiences can certainly shape us of course but for the purposes of the application we typically like to keep that weighted 80 20. um Uh so anyway this is just for the brainstorm so bucket number one meaningful experiences that you know really prompted an evolution in your perspective Bucket number two, meaningful experiences that you believe will show the reader your abilities in critical and creative thinking, problem solving. Um, And again, these experiences should be detailed. Don't worry about how it sounds at first on paper. We just want to get it all out. I always say I can always cut the fat. You know, you just want to get it out and be very free right. with you're writing. Um, and, you know, and I want to know what you thought, felt, said, and did. That is so, so important. Give me color. Um, color, you know, makes personal narratives so much richer. Um, the bucket number three, you know, meaningful experiences that will show me your abilities in leadership. Think back to the most meaningful leadership experiences you've had. The next one, you know, most meaningful experiences that will show me your ability to empathize, to connect with others, to connect with patients, etc. Um, and then finally, those most meaningful experiences you've had that you believe really reinforce your commitment to the study of medicine. Once you do this big brainstorm document, um, that actually, once people get started, they think it's a lot of fun. We're gonna have <laughs> you're gonna have so many things to draw from, and it's gonna really. You know, once you put it on paper, um, there's a great quote, you know, I write to discover what I know. You're going to be amazed what you look at what's on paper once you get that brainstorm document done. So once you have that, then you can say, okay, you know, my while my work and activities is a general overview – my personal statement is going to be a deep dive. And when I look through these meaningful experiences, I get a sense of kind of what the trends are, what kind of story, what is going to really set me apart the best for this for this admissions committee. So when it's all out in front of you, that's when you can really start outlining um, how you want your personal statement to look. But my biggest piece of advice is start with a brainstorm. Um, and then from that, really outline. And again, don't, you know, don't stay so big. You know, we <clears throat> we don't want to keep the reader 30,000 feet in the air. We want to engage them in the moment, engage them in those very specific experiences that are going to show them who you are. And again, your right. past, your past experiences are so much more meaningful, obviously, than what what you haven't yet done yet. So we always are going to be anchoring that essay in the past.
0: Yep, got it. No, that makes a ton of sense, and yeah, I, I agree that basically, show not tell, and you know, the show not tell sort of a corollary of that is obviously you can't show what you haven't done yet. <laughs> I think it's just people really want to see who you are and what you've done.
1: Absolutely, and it's a common mistake. People love to, you know, sometimes they'll say, "Oh, I want to spend like seventy percent of the essay telling them what kind of doctor I want to be," and da, da, da. but. That's wonderful, but but what you have done is far more important than what, than what you say you want to do.
0: Got it. Yeah. So then let's talk about the last piece here. I feel like we've got really good coverage on a lot of this. Um, and it's just the last bit is about the letters of recommendation. So the first question I have is if you're applying to, you know, essentially like a medical program, Who are your letters of recommendation coming from? Um, And then the second is what should be in those letters and what should be emphasized?
1: Mm -hmm. So with medical school, you definitely want a mix of, um, you know, of professors, right? So you want at least two science professors. You want um, one. One can be, you know, non-science can be in within the humanities. It shows you're a well-rounded student. In addition to that, you're going to want um, recommenders who have seen your work, you know, witnessed your work um, very closely, who've worked very closely with you. So. They can speak with specifics on your abilities in, you know, like I said, those same areas, innovation, leadership, teamwork, Um, people who have supervised you, um, these people who have supervised you in research experiences and clinical experiences. In addition to that, um, you know, those who've supervised you in Um, You know, other other experiences you've had, whether it's a full time job or an extracurricular where there's um, some incredible depth to your work. Uh, But you definitely the priorities, of course, are professors three. And really, at least three people who've supervised you in research and clinical roles. Um, the most important thing to remember about recommendation letters, um, obviously, you want to ask. You don't want to ask anybody that there's even a question that they would that they would write a glowing recommendation. You want to know that everybody you ask is going to really help you put your best foot forward in the application process. Um, the other thing, you really want your your recommenders to know you well. Um, you want them to make claims in your abilities in those areas that we've discussed and back up those claims with specific examples. Sometimes professors, you know, who who we've really had a wonderful relationship with over time, and they know what they're doing because professors do this every year. It's still helpful to provide our recommenders, whether they're a professor or a supervisor in a clinical or research role, with with specific experiences we remember, whether it was a group discussion that you took part in, um, a, you know, a research project where you did really, really well in a class with a group, a meaningful discussion that you took part in that you would like the professor to reference. Similarly, with those who've supervised your work, provide them with some specifics that may, they may not remember that will, again, help them back up their claims um, on your strengths in those areas.
0: Got it. Yeah, and I think just in general, I mean, th- these are good rules for any <laughs> letter of recommendation almost, um, but definitely important to guide your recommenders towards, you know, the themes that you want them to make sure they touch on.
1: Absolutely, yeah, because they're, you know, even if you've had a wonderful experience with them and they know you and they adore you, they're not going to remember, you know, every single course discussion that you, that you you know, where you thrived or every group project that you took part in, every, you know, written exam that you did well in. So it's good for you to provide them with those specifics.
0: Great. And as we wrap up here, are there any kind of, do you have any parting thoughts or final things um, regarding applying to medical graduate programs that you want to talk about?
1: You know, I, I think the only thing I would say is, so there, you know, there are three different sort of you know, avenue. I mean, there's allopathic, you know, medical school admissions. There's osteopath. And then there are four schools in the Caribbean that we recommend. And then, you know, there's just a lot of options. But if an applicant feels that, you know, if if we feel, for example, if an applicant isn't quite ready... You know, getting another year of work experience, you know, after college, even another year that's going to enhance their application, we always recommend why not? If it's going to enhance their application, um, then we, we, you know, don't worry. You know, you can wait a year or two to apply if it's going to enhance.
0: Right. Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been Giri Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Mary Pat Jacobs from ApplyPoint. And Achievable has a great online GRE course that you can try for free by going to Achievable.me. And the code podcast will get you 10% off if you like it.